Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast, the appearance psychology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to the psychology of how we look. I'm Nadia. And I'm Abby. And on this episode, we are talking about body image in Indonesia and an exciting new intervention aimed at improving body confidence for adolescent girls and young women in Indonesia, aged 15 to 19. Yes, I can't wait to get stuck in. And as a little background, as part of the Dove Self-Esteem Project Academic Partnership Portfolio of Work here at the Centre for Appearance Research, a small team of us, including myself, Dr Kirsty Garbett, Sharon Hayward and Professor Philippa Didricks, have spent several years working across a number of body image projects in Indonesia, the world's fourth most populated country. The two main projects were a school-based single-session lesson for adolescents supporting a partnership between Dove and UNICEF Indonesia, And the second was a social media-based short video series designed for adolescent girls in Indonesia supporting a collaboration between Dove and Girl Effect, an international non-profit organisation working to support adolescent girls in low- and middle-income countries. And on this episode, we will be talking about the second project, the social media video series, which is very timely as the paper reporting the results of this project, led by Dr Kirsty Garber at CAR, is very soon to be published in JMIR, which is the Journal of Medical Internet Research. Yes, it's super close. At time of recording, it's just going through a final proofing stage with the journal. So we're expecting it to come out really, really soon. And as soon as it does, we will make sure we include a link to the paper in the show notes for this episode. We have some brilliant guests joining us on this episode to talk about Warner Warney Wagtu, the name of the social media video series, which roughly translates as the colours of time in English. Nadia, as you worked on this project, can you give us a very short overview of the intervention? Yes, of course. So Wanawani Waktu is a six-episode mini-video series designed for social media and is currently hosted on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube and is the product of a multi-stakeholder collaboration between an Indonesian creative agency, Percolate Galactic, Girl Effect, the non-profit organisation I mentioned above, the Dove Self-Esteem Project, the Social Purpose Initiative for Unilever's personal care brand Dove, the Centre for Appearance Research, so us, as well as colleagues at the University of Indonesia and the University of Hawaii. Each of the six episodes lasts between three and a half and six minutes and together tell the story of a time-travelling group of friends looking to restore the confidence of girls in Indonesia. Accompanying the video series are a collection of fun, interactive, reinforcer activities designed to engage the audience further and consolidate some of the intervention's key messages, such as the media set an unrealistic appearance standard in order to sell us products, focusing on what your body can do rather than how it looks is a more helpful way to think about your body, and resisting and challenging appearance pressures can have a huge impact on both ourselves and the people around us. Cool, so it sounds like it includes a bit of media literacy, body functionality, maybe some other strategies as well. Exactly. So I think it's time to transition to our first guest. As I mentioned earlier, some of us at the Centre for Appearance Research have been working on a number of body image projects based in Indonesia for the past three years or so. And across all of these, we have worked with two medical doctors at the University of Indonesia, Dr. Bernie Medise and Kalisa Nasution, as well as Associate Professor of Gender Studies, Dr. Ayuswara Swati, who is Indonesian also, though now lives and works in Hawaii. Great. And Ayu has already featured on the podcast before, discussing some of her work on colorism in Indonesia. Yes, I had the pleasure of speaking with Ayu last year for episode 70 of this podcast, where we got really into some of the nuances between colorism and racism in Indonesia, and what she terms cosmopolitan whiteness. I highly recommend going back to listen to that episode if you haven't already, particularly if you're interested in this one. It's a great companion conversation to the one we are having today. So now let's hear from Kalisa, a paediatrician and public health practitioner with a keen interest in body image, nutrition and adolescent health. Kalisa, welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast. Hi, Nadia. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to come here and be invited by you. Yeah, great. I know we've been speaking about this for a really long time, so it's really good to have you on. 
I wonder if we can start by you introducing yourself for our listeners. Okay. Hi, listeners. My name is Kholisa Nasution. I am a pediatrician. So I am a medical doctor. Previously, I was doing my pediatric residency in Jakarta, Indonesia, but now I'm based in Sukabumi, West Java. It's not really that far from Jakarta, actually only two to three hours from Jakarta. And now I'm working as a pediatrician here in a district general hospital. Awesome. Thank you. And tell us why you are interested in body image or how you became interested in body image. Yeah, first of all, I was introduced to the concept of body image uh, during my thesis for my residency program. Um, at that time, my thesis supervisors, Dr. Bernie Medisa, who also uh, involved in our research with a Center of Appearance Research, and also Dr. Yoga De Faira. They are experts in adolescent health and have published several pieces on body image research. Later on, I become one of the fans of this topic Mm -hmm. because no one in Indonesia, I mean, lack of um, expert in this area of research. And I was really into this topic and myself tried to be, I think, the pioneer to not judge or to not bother specific body condition while still keeping the healthiness of the young generation. It's, it's hard to implement in the real life, actually, but it's challenging. Yeah, and I remember you got in touch with Professor Philippa Diedrich a good number of years ago, asking her about the work that we do at the Centre for Appearance Research on Body Image, which is how we became connected with you. That was the start of our whole collaboration. So I think that's exciting. Yeah, that's our first meet by uh, online, right? Yeah, yeah. So you got in touch with Philippa and then I don't know how many months it was after that that we started working on this project. But then, yeah, we spoke with Dr. Bernie as well. And then with Kirsty and Sharon from the Centre for Appearance Research, we got together on a Zoom call. And then, as they say, the rest is history. We've been working together for years on a number of projects in Indonesia. So uh, it's been great working with you. So I wonder if you could tell us or tell our listeners about some of the most common appearance pressures for young people in Indonesia. What are the main appearance pressures on Indonesian adolescents today? Okay, if I try to make them in detail of the appearance, I think, the characteristic of appearance, uh, we can separate into girls and boys Mm -hmm. and girls want to have or they give more appreciation to white skin Mm -hmm. although naturally um, Indonesian is a Malay heritage so naturally we don't have that kind of white skin which actually uh, most other Asian uh, ethnicities have I mean our white is different and then slim body shape. This might include the low body weight, I think. Yeah. yeah. And long and black hair uh, and a pointed nose. Other characteristic might, might exist yeah, for the, the, the girls, but it differs personally. Yeah. While the boys, um, they want to have a muscular body with a proportional height, of course. I, uh, I assume the tone of skin, the smooth or not for the face, I mean, with a beard or not, mm-hmm. or how is the hair, are not really matter for boys. For us. So, yeah, both genders love to have no acne, of course, in their faces, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. They want to have the smooth face, but um, the role model right now of the adolescents are K-pop artists. I mean, Korean artists, whether it is pop, pop or movie or uh, other kind of actress who are um, having smooth and white skin. But I think for the boys, they they still not really matter for that kind of um, smooth face. They they still uh, some of them are proud of having 
uh, beard having a uh, uh, yeah not really smooth face. But of course, they are who with Agnes will have more problems. I think uh, in the confidence. Yeah. Okay. So for both boys and girls, no acne is is really important. But then maybe oh, it's, it's rarely possible, right? Not having... yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> Particularly when you're going through adolescence. So yeah. Um, yeah, not exactly very realistic. And really interesting what you're saying about the the big influence being K-pop or influences from Korea more more broadly. Yeah. I think that's really interesting if that's who the role models are or that's who young people are aspiring to be. So it's it's quite different if you're aspiring to be someone of a different of a different background to you, right? So yeah. that's hard. And then also Indonesia is hugely diverse, right, in terms of yeah. ethnicity and things. It's a it's a huge country. So um, there's lots of variation. So anyway, we could talk about that for a long time. But yeah. today on this podcast episode, we're really focusing on the Wanawani Wakti project. And I wondered if you could talk us through when we were working on this together and collaborating on it and developing the intervention, some examples of how we ensured together how the intervention was really well designed to be suitable for Indonesian adolescents. And maybe that's about the look and feel of it. Maybe that's about the language. But yeah, um, yeah I wondered if you could talk us through a couple of examples. Yeah, okay, maybe I would like to start first uh, by introducing what this intervention is, right, to the oh, listener. Yeah, yeah. So this is Warna Warni Waktu is actually a public health intervention, but due to the massiveness of internet use in the country, especially in Indonesia, it is an opportunity for us to take an advantage of uh, this massiveness of use of internet. So in this project, we built the intervention together with many experts and lucky us that we can uh, also work with other uh, side of the creativeness. So we work mm-hmm. with Collate Galactic, we work with Girl Effect and all the experts from the universities. And um, so other personnel like me, Dr. Bernie, Bu Ayu, all expert in uh, Center of Ex- Appearance Research started by first we built or we discussed the key messages, right? Uh, mm-hmm. If you could remember, Nadia, related, yeah, yeah. yeah, related to, but it is so. We there are so many messages that we would like to deliver to the the girls actually, right? But uh, we uh, just choose which key messages that we want to deliver to the uh, to the girls. So we have six episodes of the character, our main character here. Her name is Putri. And after all episodes, the girls are invited to do some mini quizzes, such as completing a comic strip or identifying changes to an edited photo. And uh, they surprise us with their response to write long words to a question about the video's main message. And um, this is not easy actually from, yeah, like I said before, to find the key message first and then how we try to deliver the message and to get the language right. It's not easy. And I think I myself, we have to get along with more teenagers. We don't have teenage friends actually mm-hmm. uh, we are grateful to have percolate for working with us because um percolate uh, they they already work with lots of uh, girls young girls especially mm-hmm. and you know bahasa indonesia itself has many variations i mean uh, variations based on whom you are talking to and it in what forum so I understand very much that teenagers have their own language um, when talking with their peers. They're, they have different style or dialect. Uh, sometimes they're dif- they have different words uh, to say with their friends and to say uh, with their parents or teachers. And they will feel more comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. If we can find that kind of language, so 
we can uh, get along with them. So it is challenging. And uh, gratefully, Percolate already worked with them uh, with many years before, right? So they have this kind of experience. And other challenge is Indonesia also has many different mother languages with many ethnicities like Nadia also told us before, but I think the language that we use in, in this intervention can hopefully represent what actually teenage girls' life look like and what they feel actually. So we, we try to make it uh, as, as natural as possible. <laughs> That's the, the word choice. Luckily, our national language, Bahasa Indonesia, is learned and used formally by all students in the country. So uh, even in rural areas, in urban areas, they learn Bahasa. And I'm hoping as the government promised that everyone has education until nine years. Uh, mm -hmm. We can assume that all persons more than 15 years old can speak, can understand Bahasa Indonesia. So using Bahasa Indonesia for this invention will help us to disseminate or distribute the series to distribute this intervention to all parts of the country. And uh, the videos also included various body characteristics. So we can find a thin, fat, brown, white, yeah, mm -hmm. curly hair, straight hair, with hijab, without hijab. So this intervention is not really pointing out specific ethnicities, specific religions. It really captures uh, Indonesia, which is various and rich in culture. That's what I think this intervention uh, work. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. And as you said there, it's like it was so important for us, for all of us involved in the project, for it to feel inclusive across the country. So yeah. it'd be relevant for all Indonesian girls, regardless of where they were based. And yeah, we were so lucky because we had such a collaborative team. So we had so many different types of expertise. And I know you referenced there, Percolate Galactic, who've got that uh, creative expertise and also the expertise with young people and then you know we have your expertise Dr Bernie's Dr Ayu's our colleagues at the Centre for Appearance Research Girls Pet so we we're really spoiled with this intervention I think so um, <laughs> that's that's really good so we have a very important question here on the podcast and I think you may have heard this before yeah. but at our research centre we have a weekly team meeting and after the team meeting we all get together and have coffee and cake and I'm curious to know if you are able to make it over to the UK and over to Bristol and join us at the Centre for Appearance Research on a Thursday <laughs> what cake would you bring and and why? Okay, what cakes do I bring? Uh, is that is that represent something? <laughs> it, it could be it, so. It could be anything you want. It could be something that's traditional to Indonesia. Sometimes people like to do that, or it could just be your favorite cake, or something you like to make yourself. Okay, but actually, I I'm not good at making cakes. So I will buy. <laughs> And you buy it. Okay, <laughs> that's also allowed. And, the, and I love, I love all cakes. I mean, the the, the modern cakes, like uh, sweet cakes, any cake with berries, I mm. love to bring. And but uh, with cheese as well, uh, that's okay too. But I love all Indonesian market snacks. Mm. So you can just buy them in the market and then buy uh, and bring them along with you to get with the coffee. Oh, that sounds great. What's your favorite Indonesian market snack? Risol. It is like risoles. In in in, have you ever heard about that? Uh, I'm not sure. Can you describe it? So it's like not pie, but um, it's uh, you can fill up meat uh, or vegetables inside mm -hmm. croquette. <laughs> I can I cannot describe results. Okay, well I will have to Google it. I'll have to Google it after we finish. Um Kalitha, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. <laughs> okay, so we will have the, the, the coffee <laughs> once. Yeah.
<laughs> yes, I would really look forward to having that. And I hope I'll be able to come over to Indonesia again sometime soon. It was so great. Yeah, we, were able to do that. We're, we are waiting. We are looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, Kalisa. Yeah, thanks, Nadia. Wow, that was a great interview from Kalisa there. Yeah, totally agree, Abby. Kalisa's great and she's so much fun to work with. She's actually helping us at the moment checking the translation of the accepted publication for JMIR so that we have a version available to read in Bahasa Indonesia as well as in English, which we're really pleased about because it's not super common to have dual language publications and we just want this to be as accessible as possible. So moving on, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this fictional video series designed for social media was a huge multi-stakeholder collaboration and one of the key partners was Girl Effect. So let's hear more about the intervention from Jonathan McKay, Chief Creative and Programs Officer at Girl Effect. Jonathan, welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you for the invitation. I mean, I love this work so much that I will take any opportunity to talk about it. So <laughs> you won't need to pry any answers out of me. Okay, that's that's amazing. It's always fun talking with you. So why don't we start by you introducing yourself for our listeners? Sure. Um, my name is Jonathan Mackay, and I am the Chief Creative and Programs Officer at an NGO called Girl Effect. My job is to work with the different teams that Girl Effect, both the different kind of uh, disciplines that we have within mm-hmm. the organization and staff from across different countries to make sure that we are collaborating well together and that we are learning from what organizations like CAR are doing, bringing the best innovation in the world in a variety of different fields to the work that we do. That's awesome. And I like in your uh, email signature, you, you've got in brackets, I make new things, which, yeah. is, which, is, which is fun. <laughs> yeah, in- increasingly, my focus in the organization is to try and find ways that, you know, across our portfolio of products and programs, we are we are experimenting, we are learning, mm-hmm. we are being ambitious about what we are trying to do, um, because I think that is the only way we're going to make any significant changes for girls. But I can tell a little bit more about what Girl Effect's whole mission is when, when, we get, when we get to it. Well, why don't we pick up there? So why don't you tell us about Girl Effect for people yeah. who are not familiar? Great. So Girl Effect has been many things in its relatively short lifespan. Mm -hmm. So the organization is just over 15 years old now. And we have an interesting story, I think, for most NGOs. Uh, We were founded by Nike. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our founder, Maria Eitel, um, managed to persuade the big shots at Nike that instead of having a diverse portfolio of corporate social responsibility investments, that the smartest use of Nike money, if Nike was interested in giving back, would be to invest in adolescent girls. This is at a time uh, 15 years ago or so when there was a lot of new research being published that showed the return on investment when you're helping a girl stay in school for just one more Mm -hmm. year, helping her get married one year later, helping her have a child just one year later than she might have otherwise, that those kinds of interventions actually delivered really outsized results compared to other kinds of interventions that you might make uh, in different parts of sub-Saharan Africa or South Asia if you're trying to tackle intergenerational poverty. Mm-hmm. So the, the original idea was if 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 you think poverty is bad, okay, or mm-hmm. it shouldn't be too hard to convince people of, of that, uh, and if you are infuriated or moved by the fact that poverty seems to be intergenerational we pass it down to our children and you want to do something to break that cycle well guess what the evidence suggests that investing in an adolescent girl empowering her is the best shot we've got at trying to break that cycle of poverty that that was the 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 founding mission of the organization Mm -hmm. what drove the founders um, within nike so for a long time nike foundation was girl effect it was the sole Mm -hmm. focus of of what the nike foundation was doing Um, and in the early years the organization was primarily focused on advocacy 
trying to convince the rest of the world that girls were important. Mm -hmm. And together with a whole range of other advocacy and community-based organizations, there was some progress that, that was made on that front. You had girls standing up in front of the UN General Assembly. You had girls at Davos speaking about the power of adolescent girls to change the world. Oh, actually, that's where the name comes from, too. And the idea is that when you change the life of a girl, you don't just change her life. You change the lives of her family members, mm -hmm. her community, potentially her country, and generations to come. And that is the girl effect. Mm -hmm. So Love mission that. one, convince the world that um, the girl effect exists mm -hmm. and is real and is important and needs investment. Job done. Uh, the next thing the girl effect organization discovered was that Although there were now plenty of people who believed in the idea of investing in and empowering adolescent girls, there weren't a lot of ways to do that. There weren't a lot of programs ready to roll out mm -hmm. or kind of investment vehicles, if you like, that were right in front of a wealthy philanthropist or a multilateral where they could just start funneling money into. Um, and so Girl Effect uh, became an investor in girl-centered programming with the idea that these new programs that they were helping to fund would improve the evidence base for the ways that you could reach and empower adolescent mm -hmm. girls. And they would also build the capacity of different organizations all over the world, like PLAN, like BRAC, like Save the Children, as well as a host of other more community-based organizations to design and implement programs that would improve girls' lives. And, and that unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, wasn't, wasn't the last of Girl Effect's pivots um, because the experience of the Girl Effect team at that time, after funding all of these programs and getting them up and running and producing lots of evidence, was that driving demand for these programs was very, very challenging. You'd set up a vocational training program for adolescent girls and young women and no one would show up. Uh, and after a little bit of digging and introspective, you know, um, soul searching rather uh, than introspection, the people who were running Girl Effect at the time came to the realization that social norms, our ideas of what is and isn't appropriate for a girl to do, were preventing girls from taking advantage of the opportunities that were being created by Girl Effect and other organizations. So in the case of a vocational training program that was focused on, let's say, nursing or some kind of job which would have young women leave the neighborhood that their family was based in, well, some families just might not think that those kinds of jobs mm -hmm. are suitable for women or safe for women. If there's a program that's trying to delay child marriage um, by getting girls into education, uh, but families and girls themselves don't think that that education is going to be useful to them, well, then they're not going to show up and take mm -hmm. the space in the school that's been reserved for them. It's not just that there are external barriers that prevent girls from achieving their potential. There are internalized barriers in, in families, parents, and gatekeepers, and in girls themselves. And unless you are trying to tackle those barriers too, it doesn't matter how many development programs you're running, you're not going to see significant change. Uh, and Girl Effect then decided, you know what? We were founded by Nike. Nike is, depending on your perspective, one of the world's most successful behavior change organizations. One of the world's most successful drivers of demand for a new product category. You know, it, it took mm -hmm. Nike and the other big sports brands um, to shift jogging from a relatively niche activity to something that we all now feel is important for us to do or some form of physical activity anyway. And there are a lot of, of course, social and cultural and political and economic developments that go into uh, those kinds of big changes. But the views of the people at Nike and the views of the people at Girl Effect were that you could actually tinker with uh, those kinds of views, those kinds of beliefs about what it is and isn't appropriate for a girl to do using media, 
mm. the same way that Nike had done. And that through television and radio and magazines and clubs and increasingly digital media, you could shift uh, those internalized barriers and, and ideas that were holding girls back. I know that was a that was a bit it was a bit long it was, well it was long but it was uh fascinating and I learned a lot and it's thinking <laughs> I think it's thinking about how do you address complex problems right and there maybe isn't just one approach so with all of mm. that in mind why um, was Girl Effect interested in collaborating on a project on body image well in part because it's what we were hearing from our audience mm-hmm. that they were concerned with, that they mm-hmm. were worried about. Um, prior to working on this project, which was focused on uh, Indonesia, girls mm-hmm. in Indonesia, we had actually been working with another organization called Nutrition International on a project which was focused on girls' nutrition in Indonesia. Um, and Girl affected a lot of research in Indonesia to understand how girls were making decisions about what they ate, how their families were making decisions about what they ate. And we found a lot of the time that girls were the last to eat in their families Mm -hmm. um, and that they didn't really think much about what they ate, but that they were very concerned about their appearance Mm -hmm. and how they were perceived by their friends and their family members. And we learned through a lot of the the qualitative research that we did with girls in Indonesia that one way we could, if we wanted to, try and persuade girls to make different choices about what they were eating would be to appeal to this um, insecurity that so many Mm -hmm. girls had around their body. You know, if you told girls, hey, want to want to look uh, prettier? You want uh, long, lustrous hair? Well, here's the kinds of foods that you could be eating to do that. We didn't do that. Don't worry. I, I'm sure there might be listeners here who are panicking at the moment. But, you know, just before we, 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 we actually launched this campaign, there was another campaign in Indonesia that was launched by a different NGO that was focused in a on different part of the country with a slightly different audience, but also on nutrition for adolescent girls. And, and that campaign was called Pretty and Picky with the idea that if you wanted to be pretty, you needed to be picky about what you were eating, which uh, appalled our gender team, you know, that that, that an NGO would lean in Mm. to these really negative ideas about body image as a way to try and shift behaviors around nutrition. So already in Indonesia, before we were even aware of the work of the Dove Self-Esteem Project or the Center for Appearance Research, we knew from talking to girls that they were very concerned about their appearance and fitting in. And this was also something that was apparent to us from the way the girls were engaging with the the mobile platform that we Mm -hmm. created called Springster, where girls were leaving us comments about what their anxieties were, what they were excited about, what they were um, af- afraid of or worried about. And so our, our team knew that body image, self-confidence, self-esteem was a really significant issue facing girls in Indonesia, even before we began this project. So when when we became aware of the fact that, hey, here's a curriculum that's been demonstrated to work, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to actually shift some of these negative factors for girls, um, why wouldn't you want to just jump on that to try and find ways to make it more accessible to more girls in Indonesia and beyond eventually too? Mm. So why don't we now then turn to Wanawani Waktu? And yeah. I would yeah, and I would love for you, Jonathan, to talk us through the concept or the storyline of the video series. Well it wasn't the first concept we arrived at, actually. We we developed a range of different concepts, working with a team of Indonesian creatives um, who really understand our audience, who've been working with Girl Effect and on the Springster platform for a very long time. So they really, they get Indonesian youth culture because they are themselves the products of Indonesian youth culture. The, the team are all young women um, representing quite a diverse range of experiences, um, but they they kind of knew what 
young women were likely to respond to. Um, and we, we also knew that we needed to try and find a way of making the curriculum um, engaging, exciting. It couldn't be dry and didactic and worthy. It couldn't be, want to feel better about your self-esteem? Click here. You know, that you, you had to make the content entertaining to appeal to girls. So we explored a variety of different concepts. And the one which seemed to resonate most in, in the early tests that we did and the one that resonated most when we were talking to um, the young creatives who came up with these ideas was the idea that if we don't try and find a way of addressing the poor self-esteem and body image that we that we have now, that most of us um, in one form or another with different levels of severity um, are, are grappling with, then things are going to be pretty awful in the future. I mean, you look mm -hmm. at the proliferation of media and toxic messages online and social media, the way we're bombarded by other people's ideas mm. of what makes someone beautiful or, or valuable or worthwhile spending time with. Um, and you, you you get very quickly to a pretty dystopian place. We're like, oh my God, what would the future look like? So the starting point was, well, what if there was the future dystopia mm -hmm. where there was nothing to correct the you know seemingly um, non-stop flow of negative messages about our bodies and our appearances, and and could we dramatize that in a way to make this the the this this issue feel even more important? Um, not just an issue which affects each of us personally, but one that affects the whole um, Indonesian culture and and community. Um, and so the the idea that we landed on was that. There is a future dystopia where we haven't managed to tackle negative ideas about self-esteem and body image. Um, but um, there, thanks to time travel, there is a way that we can go back um, and try and correct that, fix it. And what if there was just one girl alive today? And if we could, if, if we could just find a way of helping that one girl come to a, a better understanding of um, images in the media and body image, then that would kind of unwind or, uh, or break break mm. the, this uh, chain of events, which is going to lead to this dystopia. Um, it, it's kind of like the butterfly effect, you know, mm, a, a yeah, butterfly exactly. flapping its, its wing somewhere is going to lead to a hurricane somewhere else. Well, what if there was one girl in Indonesia and if we could convince that one girl to think differently about herself and her body, then actually we save the whole world from falling into this dystopian nightmare mm -hmm. where we are all the victims of incredibly strict, unrealistic, never ceasing uh, messages about what we should and shouldn't do and how we should and shouldn't look. Awesome. I, I loved hearing all of that. And so tell me what's been the most exciting aspect of this project for you and the Girl Effect team? Obviously, because we are creative people, we love mm -hmm. making things. And so yeah. putting together the cast and crew and working on the animation and the edits and the scripts, all of that is incredibly exciting for mm -hmm. the team at Girl Effect. That's, that's what we do. That's our bread and butter. But I think, you know, we love that, doing that no matter what. Um, and that's what we're doing day to day. What made it especially exciting to me was the fact that we are working with something that's been proven to work. There's a foundation, mm -hmm. an evidence-backed foundation for what we're doing. So we're not coming up with the key messages of the series ourselves. They're based on what the Center for Appearance Research knows works. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, ha having that evidence-based foundation and then having the opportunity to work with the Center for Appearance Research um, also on top of that mm. made a real difference to the project because, you know, as a creative person, you can go on wild flights of fancy um, and you, you're making... The, the, the choices that you think strike the right balance between entertaining content and content that actually has a positive message. But 
you're not always in a position to know during the development process whether or not you're getting that balance right. And having the team from the Center for Appearance Research as collaborators on the project to challenge the creative team. And I wouldn't say that we always agreed mm. on exactly how a specific message needed to be delivered or what sequence the messages needed to be delivered in. But I think that that, that conversation, that dialogue that we had, even when there was tension and disagreement, was really productive because I think it probably got us much closer to that balance that, that, that you need between the informative and empowering content and the content that's just entertaining and going to keep the user engaged. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it, it was just a really wonderful collaboration in that real definition of the word. I feel like it, it just brought the best out of everyone and everyone's yeah. got different expertise so it's bringing in the collaborative side bringing in the theory the evidence base bringing in the digital aspect so yeah it was just really cool and a really amazing experience to be part of so Jonathan it's been wonderful talking to you and I could talk to you for a lot a lot longer but we're trying to keep these episodes uh, somewhat um, short or we can keep short-ish. the longer version behind the paywall right? <laughs> the... I know I know that's we haven't, we haven't quite haven't got there yet but um, maybe that's to, to come but to to end off a question that we like to ask all our guests is that at car we have a weekly coffee and cake morning after our group team meeting so if you're able to come over come down and visit us in Bristol want to know what cake would you bring and and why um well I'm, I'm not sure how much how well i'm not sure how well this cake is going to go down but i am bringing a milk dat it's a kind mm. of flan like cake from south africa so i'm going to bring a little bit of my south african heritage to uh the tea and coffee session that we're going to be having um and, and i feel slightly conflicted about it because it's <laughs> <laughs> it's my default if I'm if I'm meeting new people or, or going somewhere, especially when I might be the only South African to say, "Oh, here's some here's some milk tart." It, just to use the plain English translation. Yeah. Um, but and it is it's wonderful for me because it's so nostalgic and, and it's so evocative of my childhood. But I suspect that for most of the people, <laughs> they'll just be kind of like chewing it slowly. <laughs> No, I think we we are an like, international team. I think people appreciate listen. things from other places. But can you describe what it is? So you said it's like a milk tart, milk flan. Is that? Yeah, it's like a flan. Um, there's a lot of uh, cinnamon powder on top of okay. it. So it looks like a, um, not quite a mousse exactly. A flan is closer to it, yeah. like a, a, a creme caramel yeah. or a flan okay. or something like that. But tart sized. And just with a really thick layer of cinnamon on top of it, which I think you need to make it taste like something. It's quite a subtle flavor. Uh-huh. Um, it's hard for me to be objective about whether or not uh, milk tart is actually good or not. So I'm, br- I'm bringing it more um, as a way of uh, showing some allegiance with the country of my birth. No, I love that. I love that. And I think that would be very welcome at our Caden Coffee Morning. So please do bring it if you are able to, to come <laughs> come down. Deal. Great. Jonathan, thank you so much again for joining us on the show. Uh, great pleasure. Um, <laughs> well, if you ever want to do a follow-up, as I said, I love talking about this project. So anytime. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that interview. Jonathan's such an engaging speaker. I think we could have spoken for a very long time. Anyway, the video series is available to watch on YouTube, so we'll pop the link in the show notes. And last but not least, let's hear about how Wanawani Waktu was evaluated by our team at the Centre for Appearance Research and, excitingly, what the findings were. Yes, so the research was led here at CAR by Dr Kirsty Garbert, who's currently on maternity leave. So today we're going to be hearing from CAR's Sharon Haywood, who worked really closely on the project as well. Hi Sharon, great to have you back on the podcast. It's been a minute. Hey Nadia, yes it has. Thanks so much for having me back. I would love us to talk about the research underpinning Wanawani Waktu. Can you talk us through how the intervention was tested and who it was tested with? Yeah, for sure. It'd be my pleasure. So um, we chose to conduct an RCT or a randomized controlled trial, which is considered the gold standard of evaluating interventions. So our participants were randomized to one of two groups. One group received Warna Warni Waktu and the other group did not. 
Um, each group completed self-report questionnaires consisting of body image and well-being measures at three different time points. At baseline, one day post-intervention and one month post-intervention, which allowed us to compare if there were any differences that could be attributed to our intervention. So given that warning, warning, WAP2 is an intervention designed to be delivered online through social media, and the fact that our evaluation took place during the height of the pandemic, we felt that conducting the RCT online made the most sense. Um, we worked really closely with a research agency in Indonesia called Infinity. They were responsible for recruiting our participants, as well as delivering the links to our questionnaires and the intervention. They did an awesome job of recruiting just over 1,800 teen girls and young women from 10 cities across Indonesia. That's awesome and super clear. So now let's get a little more granular and talk about the outcome measures. Can you talk us through what we were hoping to shift with this series of six videos um, and perhaps talk maybe overall and then individually as well? Okay, sure. Yeah, no problem. Um, given that we rec we created Warna Warni WAC 2 by incorporating messaging and activities that targeted established risk factors for poor body image, namely the influence of media, talking about appearance, teasing and bullying, appearance-based comparisons, and family, friends, and relationships, we expected to see shifts on several different outcomes. So first, we hypothesized that we would, we would see improvements in our primary outcome of trait body satisfaction. Um, so when we say trait um, body satisfaction, this relates to how satisfied participants are with their appearance most of the time. We also expected to see improvements in three other outcomes, skin shade dissatisfaction, trait mood, which is how one feels most of the time, and internalization of appearance ideals, which relates to how much someone believes in and adheres to appearance ideals. And as well, we also anticipated participants who watched Warning Warning Wack 2 to experience immediate improvements in both body image and mood after watching each individual video. Um, these immediate in the moment changes we refer to as state body image and state mood. Yeah, that's fantastic. And just to expand on what you're saying there, as a quick reminder to our listeners, the difference between state and trait, um, awesome. they can sometimes get uh, a little muddled. So trait measures aim to capture patterns of thinking, feeling and behaving that generalize across similar situations and without intervention are expected to be relatively stable across mm -hmm. time, while state measures are designed to capture how an individual is thinking or feeling or behaving in a specific moment in time. So they're often much shorter. So for example, the state measure of body satisfaction, I think the one that we used in this study was just the question, how satisfied are you with your appearance right now in this moment, obviously in Bahasa Indonesia, the national language of Indonesia. And then in contrast, a trait measure of body image, such as the body esteem scale, includes multiple items. So these will include items like, I like how I look in pictures, I'm satisfied with my weight, I think I have a good body, and so on. And the Indonesian version of the body esteem scale has 17 items, so it just gives a fuller picture. So anyway, that's a, a quick distinction between trait and state. It comes up quite a lot when we're talking about our interventions. So can we move on and can you share, I feel like we need a drum roll, um, <laughs> our, uh, <laughs> the, the top line findings from this study? Yeah, I would love to. And thanks for that explanation. Yeah, super clear. Um, so for our primary outcome of trait body satisfaction, we didn't see any change at one day post-intervention, but we saw significant improvements at one month post-intervention. Now, this delayed effect of trait body satisfaction, we believe, is attributed to the significant improvements at both time points for internalization of appearance ideals, which was really exciting to see because it supported the theory that we used to build Warning Warning WAC2 called the Tripartite Influence Model of Body Dissatisfaction, which I suspect is a theory that's been mentioned a few times over some different um, podcast episodes. Um, we were also pleased to see improvements at one day post-intervention for skin shade dissatisfaction. Um, and regarding trait mood, we didn't see any shifts. Um, regarding our state measures, we were thrilled to see that each video resulted in immediate improvements in both state body satisfaction and state mood. 
Now, what was particularly exciting with regard to the improvements in state body satisfaction and state mood was not only did they show improvements after watching each video, they showed improvements before they watched the next video in the series. Now, this tells us that the girls had a positive anticipatory effect in body image and mood before they even hit the play button. Super exciting. Um, it's worth noting that all of these improvements had small effect sizes, which is what we anticipated as this falls in line with other successful body image interventions. So kind of big picture, given all of these positive results, we can confidently say that Warning Warning WAC 2 is an effective public health intervention for improving body image among teen girls and young women across Indonesia. That's amazing. Thanks, Sharon. And for our listeners, you can't see us, but we're both beaming. Yeah. <laughs> All of us like involved in this project, I just feel so proud of it. It was obviously like all of our projects, a lot of work, but it really came together and our outcomes are really what we were hoping for. Like I feel like it's yeah, a very positive experience all around. So yeah, thank you Super for sharing positive. all of that. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, my my pleasure. Cool. Okay, well, Sharon, you know, you know the drill. I can't let you go. <laughs> so I've asked you this great question. I, I'm sure I've asked it to you on the podcast before. But at our car coffee morning, or, or, or perhaps, maybe I'm going to rephrase it a little bit. What's the next cake you'll bring to our car coffee morning? What have you got, what have you got lined up? Oh, or... gosh. Hmm. See, I, I guess if I say it, I, I'm committed to doing it. <laughs> I know, I know, so I'm put you on the spot. But, uh, feeling a bit sassy. It's a Friday, so... You know, this is probably, I, I don't really like to cook or bake. I usually kind of buy everything that I like, or I have it made for me. I'm very quite spoiled that way. Um, but my favorite, which maybe I should motivate myself to, to create next time for um, my turn for car coffee would be, I love any kind of um, sweets that mixes chocolate and peanut butter. So it would be, I remember actually having one at Society Cafe, and it was this huge brownie fudge peanut butter glorious mix. So yeah, um, maybe that's something I should look into and prepare for for next car coffee. That sounds really good. Thank you, Sharon, again for for coming on the podcast and sharing our results. Thank you for having me. It was a, a pleasure to to step in as you know, Kirsty's on mat leave. So yeah, and it was awesome working with you on this project as well. So thanks. Thanks, Sharon. Very impressive work and very positive outcomes from that trial. As we mentioned earlier, the paper is going to be out really, really soon. So it might already be out by the time you're listening to this. So have a look in the show notes where we'll pop a link when it's ready. We'll also include a link to the study protocol paper, which was published last year in the JMIR in the research protocol section. This paper details the development of the intervention as well as the design of the trial. And so it's a really good paper to read before you get to the results. Now, before we wrap up, I couldn't resist but ask each of our guests on today's show to tell me what their favorite episode is of Wanawani Waktu. And I also managed to corner Heidi and Katty, two other project collaborators at the Center for Appearance Research to share their thoughts too. So let's have a listen, starting with Sharon. So in terms of my favorite episode, it's really hard to choose a favorite one because I do love them all. Um, But I would probably go with episode three, Break the Chain of Comparisons, Um, namely because this episode shines a light on how normalized it is for us to make appearance comparisons and how doing so just makes us feel bad about how we look. In this episode, it features our protagonist, Putri, and her two besties, Queenza and Kenzo, making casual small talk, comparing their appearance to each other. Um, Fortunately, our trusty time travelers intervene with a cat stuck in a tree that needs saving. So admittedly, I also love how a stuffed animal was used in the scene instead of a real one, which adds a pinch of humor to the episode, which is a thread that runs throughout the entire series. Um, Ultimately, the three friends end up working together to save the cat, which leads them to appreciate what their body can do instead of what it looks like. And that helps them break the cycle of comparisons. 
Hello, here's Caterina Gentili. I've been the data analyst for this wonderful project. And um, I have to say, I couldn't wait for Earl, all the um, videos to come out on YouTube so that I could watch them from beginning to end in peace. <laughs> um, I would say my favorite episode, it's a difficult question, but I can help but really love the beginning, how they all set up the story to come um, and I just love how a lot of uh, psychological and uh, therapeutic principles are um, packed in that first episode to explain um, how the protagonist and why the protagonist is feeling bad and how uh, she can get better. I just think that's so sweet and is setting up the rest of the series up for success. Um, so yeah, enjoy! Ah, forgot to say that I think the actress playing the evil boss is just so brilliant and I can't help but chuckle every time I see her acting. It's just so good. Hi, I'm Dr. Heidi Williamson, co-lead of the Dove team at CAR and huge fan of Putri. Watching her journey as she develops skills to overcome appearance pressures, typical of many young girls and women across the globe, is inspiring and hopeful. I'm particularly fond of the scene in episode five when Putri's looking in the mirror after criticising aspects of her appearance, her hair, her skin and comparing herself to others and thinking I'm just too ugly to face people at school. When all of a sudden her reflection comes to life, waves at her and gives her a stern talking to. Don't be so mean to yourself. You'd never say such mean things to mates. Be kind to yourself. Be your own best friend. Focus on what your amazing body enables you to do and achieve. Following this advice, shifts Putri's perspective, giving her the strength and motivation to go to school with her head held high. This is an excellent introduction to self-compassion and showcases the value of focusing on body appreciation and functionality, rather than getting tied up in negative appearance-related thoughts. Hi, this is Khalis again, and I love all episodes, actually, in Warna Warni Waktu, and it's hard to choose. But I think the episode when Putri can talk back to her own and use the opportunity to fight back to tell her own not only appearance that matters is the top favorite story, I believe. Many girls now could get the messages of empowerment to make them more confident, but seldom remind them how to communicate what they think briefly, but wisely. So I think I prefer that video. Hi, everyone. Jonathan from Girl Effect here again. My favorite episode from the series is the episode where Putri, our heroine, uh, we have followed her back in time to a moment where she and the whole family have come together and she's She's wanting to go outside and play with her cousins, but an aunt intervenes because she's worried about what the sun will do to her complexion. And there's a very interesting discussion between the two of them about why it may be a good idea for Pucci to go outside and play with her cousins anyway. Um, and I just loved the really authentic dynamic between Putri and her aunt and the family coming together. It just felt like a really relatable scene in Indonesia mm. and a relatable event. You know, that that anxiety about skin complexion seemed to really resonate with all of the crew and cast who were working on it. And I just think it, it seemed to capture something that felt really real. I love also the futuristic space scenes because they're just fun to create. Um, but 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 that moment that of, you know the family coming together and how real and relatable it was that was my favorite. Oh, I love that. I need to have a look myself and choose my favorite episode. So um, as we said before, you can watch these series on YouTube and with English subtitles if you need them. And you can also let us know your favorite episode on Instagram or Twitter. We'd love to hear what you think. And Abby, I'll be curious to hear what your favourite episode is too. So with that, it's time to wrap up this episode. So a very big thank you to all of our episode guests. So to Kalisa, to Jonathan and to Sharon. And of course, to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Appearance Matters, the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do remember to rate and review on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts to give us a little boost in the charts and help others to find the podcast. We'd appreciate it massively. 
And as something a little different, we're going to close this episode out with the Wani Wani Waktu theme song. We hope you enjoy it as much as we do. Cantik juga datang dari pintar, cantik juga punya hati 